welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. Fate's not going to be here with me this week, so it's just going to be me riding solo. And that's actually probably a good thing because in the world of physical media, there is a lot of news. So I'm not going to bury the lead. We did it, guys. We actually did it. The James Cameron films are coming to 4K Blu-ray. Not them all, but... A lot more than I was expecting. On March 12, 2024, we're going to get The Abyss, Aliens, and True Lies on 4K Blu-ray, all with new scans that were completed at different times. Aliens had a rumor that the scan's been done for years. But The Abyss, it's actually doing a one-day screening, I believe, on December 6th, where you can actually see this new scan in theaters for yourself. Some people have already seen the scan. They said it's been wiped clean. Like, you know, we know James Cameron likes to wipe his stuff clean and, you know, throw DNR on it. We've seen it with Terminator 2. But from what I've heard from people who have seen it, it's not as bad as Terminator 2. But for people who do get bothered by the removal of film grain, and I'll admit, it does kind of bother me sometimes. But I'm not going to complain about this one, mainly because if you're fans of The Abyss and True Lies, then you are very well aware we haven't had those two films even on Blu-ray. The last time those were released physically were on DVD. And if you've streamed those over the last few years, maybe on Peacock or on Amazon, both The Abyss and True Lies look like they were ripped right from that DVD. So it just looks absolutely atrocious, pixelated, and just disgusting. So the fact that we're even getting it on 4K Blu-ray, even if it is wiped clean... I am not going to complain about those two films, mainly because I'm just so thankful that we're finally getting a physical release of these new scans, especially for The Abyss. For me, The Abyss is one of those special James Cameron movies that just really got overlooked. I love the romance about it. I love Mary Elizabeth Antonia and Ed Harris's relationship. Michael Bean actually gives a great performance in that movie as well. And bringing those visuals to 4K, that's a movie that I think really is going to lend itself great to 4K. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. True Lies is one of those 90s action movies that always gets overlooked when we talk about 90s action movies. And I don't know why. It's a James Cameron film. It's shot very similar to T2. You're bringing in Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. Love a good spy movie. It's an over-the-top action spy movie. Not supposed to be taken that seriously. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a spy. How are you going to hide Arnold Schwarzenegger? You're not hiding Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's how. So you got to buy into that right away. But if you do, you're going to have a great time. And we're getting Aliens. Who doesn't love Aliens? Aliens is probably James Cameron's either second or third most popular film. For me, it's his third best film. I can't put it above T1 or T2. But I still really do enjoy Aliens. Not as much as Alien, but Aliens is still a great 80s action sci-fi film. And who doesn't love Ellen Ripley? And I've seen some complaints about the cover for Aliens. People aren't too big of fans of it. You know... It's the cover. I'm not. I'm, I'm not really gonna put too much stock in it. I'm not gonna lie though. It also doesn't really bother me that much. Same thing with The Abyss and True Lies. I'm just really glad that we're getting them. Plus, on December 5th, we're getting Titanic on 4K. So that really only leaves The Terminator, and it's 1984. We're going into 2024. Somebody's celebrating 40 years here on this earth. So I can imagine we probably will get Terminator 1 this year. I talked to the original Fuzz, and he was telling me that from what he heard, T1 might be coming. Also, we might be finally getting that new scan of T2 that we've been asking for since, I think, about 2017 or 2018. I can't remember when that scan was done, but I remember it going in the theaters. It was in 3D, and everyone was really excited about it, and we've just been disappointed ever since. So for James Cameron to finally be bringing his stuff to the 4K format, I'm just really, really excited. This is a big deal for me, and I know it's probably just as big a deal for all of you. These are going to be the biggest releases of 2024. I still got my fingers crossed for Terminator 1, but we'll have to wait and see. But on March 12th, we are getting these physically. And now here's the first negative of this whole thing. And I don't really like to bring this up, but unfortunately, on December 12th, you can buy all these scans digitally. You have to wait all the way three more months to buy them physically, which is very, very disappointing. 
Um, I understand that's a business decision done by Disney because you can't say, oh, it's going to take us three months to get the packaging together. It doesn't take you three months. I'm going to be talking about in a second Criterion announcing their February releases. That's for February. They're announcing that at the same day that James Cameron's 4Ks were announced and they don't have digital releases. So for me, I believe that's Disney taking advantage of the consumer, the people who have been waiting for these James Cameron's films. And, you know, hey, it's around Christmas time. We're sitting around. I really want to watch Aliens on 4K. I can't wait till March. And I can see people double dipping, buying them digitally to see the films for themselves and then buying them again physically. I believe that's what Disney's intentions are, are to, you know, get more money out of the consumer. I'm not going to be personally doing that. I won't be looking at these scans until March 12, 2024. I'm not going to spoil it for myself. But I understand why people would want to see them before then. But it is a little bit disappointing by Disney to do this digital rollout and have the physical rollout three months later that's just too much time you know i get it if it's like one or two weeks earlier hey you know the, the packaging takes a little bit of time we're not going to be able to get it out there yet but three months for me that just seems like shady business stuff but hey it's a business i guess i can understand i don't want to spoil the fact that we are getting these movies on 4k blu-ray finally <laughs> Just as we were done with the show, Sony announces that they are going to be releasing Columbia Classics Volume 4 on February 13th, and this has the best lineup since the original six films in the original Columbia Classics set. This time we're going to be getting His Girl Friday, Kramer vs. Kramer, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Punch Drunk Love, Starman, and Sleepless in Seattle. That is a murderer's row of film. I mean, all six of those are going to probably look great on 4K Blu-ray. Columbia is going to be celebrating 100 years next year. It's not the same studio that started 100 years ago. Now it's owned by Sony, just like TriStar Pictures is. So Sony has their own little mini monopoly of classic studios there, but they have the entire Columbia library at their disposal. And the six films that they picked are all pretty much perfect, in my opinion. I'm really looking forward to it in this set. Starman and Sleepless Seattle, personally. But guess who's coming to dinner in Kramer vs. Kramer, also Stone Cold Classics. Kramer vs. Kramer, I believe, is a Best Picture winner. But Starman, that John Carpenter classic, I just watched this again last month. That is a John Carpenter film that really does stand out it doesn't get the love it deserves you know john carpenter people don't remember but in the 1980s you know he wasn't as beloved as he was now he was seen as a commercial and critical failure starman was really the one that broke through got jeff bridges an academy award nomination i believe that's the only academy award nomination for any john carpenter film that score should have been nominated as well because that is a great great score but that film is definitely going to look beautiful on 4K. Sleepless in Seattle, that's another one that I just absolutely love. Right at the beginning of Tom Hanks in his 1990s run, just before he won back-to-back -back Academy Awards. So that one's a stone-cold classic as well. Punch Drunk Love is actually weird. I expected that Paul Thomas Anderson film to actually come to 4K Blu-ray, but through the Criterion Collection since they released it on Blu-ray years ago. But it's coming to us from the Columbia Classics set, and it's a big upgrade over Volume 3, which I didn't even bother picking up. Right now, Volume 3 is $71.99. I might grab it just for the collection, but the only film I wanted in that collection was the last picture show on 4K Blu-ray, and that came to the Criterion Collection this week, and I grabbed it through them. I thought that was the better option, so... Everything else in that set is okay at best. Not the best lineup they've ever had, but Volume 4 really is firing on all cylinders. Um, I'm hoping that the price isn't too, too high. I would like to grab it. Most of these films will not get released on their own on 4K Blu-ray. We got nothing, I believe, from Volume 2 or Volume 3 on 4K Blu-ray, except for The Last Picture Show, but that wasn't even released through Sony. That was released through the Criterion Collection. Volume 1, we had... Lawrence of Arabia released on 4K, but we really haven't had too much since then. I think Gandhi also got its own release. Everything else, like Taxi Driver, The Social Network, A League of Their Own, all those movies are still locked behind the Columbia Classics wall, which is really disappointing. I really hope Sony decides one day to release these on their own so people can grab them who aren't 
boxed in and forced to pay a premium for these. Yes, it's, you kind of get a good deal for the amount in here, but still, you would like these to be released individually so everybody can get a look at these 4K Blu-rays. They're Sony 4K Blu-rays. That means they are going to look absolutely gorgeous. So I would like them eventually to release these six films on their own, but I'm going to try and get the money together so that I can review this for you guys in February because there are great films in there. And I would like to add it to my Columbia Classics collection. Like, I do have Volume 1 and Volume 2, and Volume 1 is probably my most prized possession in my collection. Love everything they did with them. I love the packaging on these. You know, they just changed the color around. This year, we're getting green, so that's pretty cool. But, you know, I really, really hope that Sony, you know, decides to give everybody the chance to see some of these 4K Blu-rays. It really bothers me that people can't see Taxi Driver on 4K unless they buy Columbia Classics Volume 2. And not everybody's a fan of all six of those movies, so you kind of box people in. And I hope that eventually Sony does decide, hey, let's put these out, especially next year for the 100th anniversary of Columbia. Let's like do a Columbia line of a 100th year anniversary, kind of like what Warner Brothers was doing this past year. And, you know, throw some of these Columbia classics in there for the people who haven't been able to grab them yet because they've been stuck in these great packages. Don't let me sell these Columbia classics short. It's just the price is a little hard to justify sometimes. And that's the only reason why I would have some minor complaints. But I'm definitely looking forward to this. It's coming to you on February 13th. And there were actually other announcements that we got as well. We got Varsity Blues confirmed for January 9th, 2024. So people who love that movie, I know that was a big deal back in the late 90s. Those teen movies, those teen high school movies. Everybody loved those movies. I am not a big fan of that era at all. Never been kissed. Those movies just, they never really resonated with me. I was there for that. And I just always thought they were a little bit too cheesy and over the top. And uh, just didn't work for me. I get why people love them from that era, and Varsity Blues falls right into that. It's maybe one of the better ones. We also get a very young Paul Walker in that movie. Uh, I always just think of not another team movie making fun of Varsity Blues more than I actually think of the movie Varsity Blues. But for people who like that movie, it's coming out on 4K Blu-ray. Raid Redemption is coming to 4K Blu-ray. That's one that is going to probably look fantastic on 4K. You know, the Raid movies are very popular. I feel like their popularity actually kind of buried Dread. I thought that they're very similar movies, that the Raid films were just actually a little bit better than Dread, despite Dread being a fantastic, overlooked film that has deserved a sequel for how long now? Probably Carl Urban's best performance in film. Obviously, The Boys is probably his most well-known performance as far as an actor goes, but... The Raid films are great. In the beginning, Raid Redemption on 4K Blu-ray. That's another awesome announcement that we're getting. You know, January is a bit light. I'm not going to lie. I think that's just because, you know, everybody's putting out all their big stuff in time for Christmas. That's why I'm actually, again, that's why I'm surprised that Disney didn't push along, you know, the Abyss, True Lies, and Aliens in time for Christmas. You know, that's leaving money right on the table as far as Christmas gifts go. But, hey, you know what? I understand. And I'm just really glad, you know, give the wallet enough time to, like, you know, regroup and get ready for February. Because we are going to have some February releases. And there's some in January that do look pretty good. We are still getting train spotting in January, so don't forget about that. And Criterion also surprised us and announced their February releases. Which is actually kind of weird because Shout and Scream Factory only really announced a couple movies for January. So maybe they're taking the month off, which makes sense. You see how much they have coming out in December with Rings, Dead Zone, JFK, Point Break, and Clue. Like, what a December for Scream and Shout Factory, so I understand that they didn't want to put a lot out in January. Criterion doesn't have the biggest January as well. Train spotting is a pretty big deal, so they're already gearing up for February. And we got four announcements from them. The one that I'm most excited for is this double pack starring Michelle Yeoh and Maggie Chung. This is coming to 4K Blu-ray. It's a two-pack. Both of these movies came out in 1993. The Heroic Trio and its sequel, 
Executioners. And the cover art for this, I mean, it catches your eye. Also, the cinematography of this movie is beautiful. That early 90s smoky cinematography. Really looking forward to seeing this one on 4K Blu-ray. And those are the only ones I've actually ever seen that's coming out. The Roaring Twenties, love the cover art on it. And uh, Rico Gomez reached out to me and he said, if you haven't seen The Roaring Twenties, it's a great 1930s gangster film that I should check out. And I, I was telling him, I think the 1930s is probably my biggest blank spot when it comes to film. I've probably only seen about 100 movies from the 1930s. You know, the 1930s, 1940s, the studio system, each studio would probably put out 100 plus movies a year. They were just cranking them out one after one after one. So there's a lot to uncover from that era. And maybe I'll check out The Roaring Twenties on 4K Blu-ray. Love the cover on it. And one I haven't heard of is Nothing But a Man. Like the cover on that as well. I did some research on it. You know, it's something that I definitely would check out and eventually maybe pick up at a sale. And one that I'm really excited about that I've never seen before, McPhee and Mrs. Miller. This one's directed by Robert Altman. What I was able to find out about this film is it's really known for its cinematography. And you guys know I'm a cinematography junkie. This is a Western. It's supposedly a very originally shot Western that you have to see for yourself. And I can't wait to see that, actually. As a big Western fan, this is one that I've overlooked my entire life. So the cover art for that is really good as well. So Criterion is giving us a pretty good amount of films that aren't the most popular and eye-catching films. But for the film fan out there, I think you'll be very happy with it. I wasn't blown away by February's announcements. I wanted something that was a little bit more mainstream in there. But I'm still very happy with it. It is the Criterion Collection. And they're just great at opening your eyes to films you've never seen before. So a bunch of these films I might pick up just to check out for the first time. But I'm definitely looking forward to the Heroic Trio and the executioners michelle yo is getting a second rise of a career but she's been around forever and she really has always just done phenomenal work i'm really glad that people are starting to appreciate the work that she's done for her career not just everything everywhere all at once but she has had a sprawling career you probably don't even realize how long she's been around that's how long her career has been and she's just been phenomenal that entire time so one thing that's not physical media related but it's a pretty big news story about movies going around this week WB, you know, David Zosloff over there, that big executive who just loves to screw people over because he doesn't care about, already cares about that money clip that's in his pocket that Warner Brothers is paying for, Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, this week he decided he's up to his old games again, you know, as if cutting back early after it was completely finished wasn't enough. He decided, you know what, WB needs a $30 million tax write-off, and I'll tell you what we're going to do. Even though Coyote vs. Acme is finished, people are loving it, saying it's the best, you know, combination of animation versus live action since who framed roger rabbit came out back in the 1980s and people are really excited for this movie it stars john cena in one of the starring roles he's like hey you know what we need the 30 million dollar tax write-off it ain't worth it for us to have to spend our money to distribute this and to market it you know i'd rather just it never see the light of day and people were pissed which i'm really glad about i'm really glad to see that social media was actually used for good for once you know people were like hey this is ridiculous. This movie's done. You're destroying art. Why would anyone want to sign a contract with Warner Brothers if all you guys ever do is let us pour two or three years of our life in this writing, shooting, editing, and everything like that just for the end of the day to go across one person's desk and go, nah, I don't want it, and just throw it away and pretend that it's never going to see the light of day because that's the only way you can get that tax write-off. Which, of course, for me, raises a lot of questions about our government here in the United States is how is it a tax write-off to destroy something that you just spent money on and the only way to get the write-off is just to have it never see the light of day. I will never understand those business practices. I just understand that's something that the rich are able to, you know, take advantage of. They have lawyers that are able to find every single loophole and every single government program out there so that they save money, while us regular consumers, of course, are the ones that are paying for all of that. 
But luckily, after a few days of, you know, being just dragged through the mud and having another PR nightmare for Warner Brothers, which they just cannot afford that. Maybe they don't care. I don't know. I feel like they've only been doing negative things for like the last couple of years. So, eh, I don't know. But it seems like, you know, someone hit him in the back of the head and said, hey, this is a bad idea. Why don't you do something a little different? And luckily, they said, okay, we're going to show this to some of the streamers like Netflix and Amazon Prime, and we'll see. Maybe one of them will like to pick it up and distribute it on their network. And that's what they've been doing. They've been doing screenings for them, and I haven't gotten any news since. Maybe at the time you guys see this, because I am recording this Thursday morning, even though you're not going to see this till Sunday. Busy week for me, and maybe they actually already signed with a streamer, because I heard this movie's great, and I really want to get a look at it. And I just want to have artists have their films be distributed. If I worked on a film, and I and then at the end of the day, it just got thrown out, and no one got to see it, and I don't get to reap the benefits of my hard work, I would be really disappointed as well. And I really hope that Warner Brothers, I'm sure they haven't, will learn their lesson from this. But I know they won't. So that's unfortunate as well. But hopefully we get to see Acme vs. Coyote. I know a lot of people remember those Roadrunner cartoons from when they were a kid. The Looney Tunes franchise is another one that really needs to be rejuvenated. I really enjoyed that. I mean, a bunch of people around my age, we grew up with Space Jam. That was our first introduction to the Looney Tunes, and we learned to love them from them. I know that people who knew Looney Tunes before that probably hate Space Jam. But you know what? Space Jam was my jam when I was a kid. Even the sequel uh, is horrible. But the original, you can't replace that. Who doesn't love Space Jam? And speaking of Space Jam, if you noticed this past week, it was $5.99 at Best Buy. They might still be having this sale go on. You know, I think they're, everybody's just... Black Friday used to be one day. That's why it was called Black Friday. Now it's basically Black Friday week. So everybody's been having sales. Really hard to keep up with. Really don't have the money for this, but you know what? Been grabbing stuff left and right. Best Buy had like a fire sale. I could see this being the sale where they were trying to eliminate a lot of their stock as they try and transition into not having physical media because everything was on sale. I mean, I was able to grab a lot of movies for really cheap. Joker, I never had on 4K Blu-ray. Got that for $7.99. You know, like I said, Space Jam was only $5.99. Didn't grab that because I don't want to revisit that as an adult. I'm afraid I'm going to ruin it. But, you know, you got all the movies. I finally got to watch. I finally got Watchmen on 4K. was able to grab John Wick 4, which was under $15. That's the cheapest that has been. Pretty much every studio release, Dungeons and Dragons, Across the Spider-Verse, everything was on sale. Amazon was doing price matching as well. So you were able to get all of these 4K Blu-rays for a really, really low price. The lowest that I've seen this year. Christmas 4Ks were dropping down to $10. Elf I was able to steal from Walmart for $10 before it eventually ended up at $10 at Best Buy and Amazon. So we have been very, very fortunate as far, as far as sales going on. You know, we had the big boutique sales going on. Actually, Criterion is still having their Barnes & Noble 4K sale going on right now. Actually, not just 4K. Anything from the Criterion collection is 50% off. Even pre-orders for this month of November, like Mean Streets, I was able to pre-order at half price. I was able to get the last picture show at half price, even though they sent me the wrong one or I clicked the wrong button. Not too sure. I got it on Blu-ray. Ah, I might swap it out. I'm not too sure. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. I'm a little bit disappointed by that, but... But either way, you're able to pre-order all of their November releases. You can pre-order their December releases as well, but that's only 30% off, which is exactly 30% off the MSRP price. So they're dropping it from 50 to 34 and eventually after the sale, it'll still be $34.99. So that's not really a sale. That's just kind of misleading. But I am not going to knock Barnes & Noble for this. I love that they do the sale twice a year because the Criterion Collection at 
half price is an absolute steal the amount of effort that criterion puts into their collection into their 4k blu-rays now is just phenomenal i still think that they're my favorite boutique label but i understand that not everybody likes that type of film it's not for everybody you know i would say probably shout factory is the most like mainstream and catering not just to the film fan but to the mainstream film fan to the horror fans i think that they have the perfect balance while criterion you know it's a little bit more high brown sometimes it can be a little bit too snooty for me even but overall i think criterion brings those films that i personally love to see the 4k and blu-ray it's just that it could be a little bit expensive and also if you're on the market for a 4k blu-ray player we know there was a lot on sale this week the panasonic uba 20 was on sale this week that's the one we here recommend on the channel that's the best bang for your buck as far as 4k blu-ray players go then we would recommend the sony x800 uh, I don't think that one was on sale this week, but keep an eye out. I'm sure both of them might go on sale this week as well and, and going into Black Friday. Keep an eye out if you're on the market for a 4K Blu-ray player. Those are the two we would recommend here on the channel. You know, me and Matt, like even though Matt's not here on the channel anymore, he still is a big-time collector, still upgrades his technology all the time. You know, he's the tech guy, so he'll always feed me some information to help out with that. And, you know, that's the best 4K player you can get is that Panasonic UV820. So that's the one we recommend. Just keep an eye out for it here in the next couple of weeks being on sale because if you're on the market, that's the best you can do. All right, guys, we're going to dive into the Q&A portion of the show this week. And we actually got a few questions. And the first one is from Austin Powers. Not the real Austin Powers. Or is it? I'm not too sure. And he wrote, graphic PG-13 deaths you've seen. I saw Kevin's comment and wanted a similar question, but one for PG-13 rated kills. So last week, Kevin Kruger, our director, asked us, what were the most graphic R-rated deaths that you've ever seen? He didn't specifically say R-rated. I don't remember exactly. He might have. But Austin Powers is specifically asking for PG-13 deaths. You know, deaths that really, like, floated that line of being just over-the-top graphic. And you got to look back to the 1980s for that and go right to Temple of Doom. I mean, the man got his heart ripped out of his chest. That is absolutely the number one as far as PG-13 deaths floating the line. Imagine being 13 years old and you see PG-13 and your parents take you into the theater. You know, maybe you're seven. And a man gets his heart ripped out of his chest. That could scar a child. And that happened a lot in the 1980s. A lot of movies were PG-13. Like I said, Poltergeist. Not exactly a death in Poltergeist, but there is a scene of a guy peeling his face off under a red light. I mean, it just, it looks disgusting. Imagine seeing that as a child. I saw that as a child. I was probably scarred for that. That's probably why I'm the person I am, is seeing stuff like that at a way too young age. You know, it really does feel like things kind of float through depending on the studio putting them out and that they're able to, like, float that PG-13 line. Although I just talked about two movies that created the PG-13 MPAA rating because both Temple of Doom and Poltergeist were rated PG because all they had at the time was PG and R and, you know, studios like that. They didn't want the R rating. That was kind of like a kiss of death. R-rated movies just don't make as much as much as PG or PG-13 rated films, mainly because, you know, you're shrinking your audience. If you can't get into your over 17 years of age, you're going to eliminate a significant amount of ticket sales there. So, of course, R-rated movies aren't going to do as well. So, studios love the PG-13 rating, but they do like to try and float that line. And this was a little bit hard for me because I don't really actually know too many deaths off the top of my head that I thought, oh, that is a death that I can't believe they were able to sneak into the movie. I was trying to think of the MCU because there have been some MCU movies where I was like, oh, you know, like Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness where things looked a little bit scary and off-putting because they're like kind of floating that horror genre. And, you know, that might be a little bit shocking for a child to see it around 13 years of age. But overall, I really don't know if there's too many that I know off the top of my head. If you guys have any, let me know in the comment section of any PG-13 deaths that really like shocked and surprised you that they made it into those films. I know a lot of horror movies have come out of 
at about PG-13. And I'm always disappointed by PG-13 horror movies because it feels like they're covering stuff up. Megan from earlier this year, that had a PG-13 initial release and then it had a 4K release that is unrated that is a lot more graphic and over the top. The PG-13 version though, it did float that line. It had some pretty actually gross deaths. And I think studios are going to be doing that a lot more often. Put a movie out for PG-13 fans into theaters and then release the unrated cut for the physical release or the digital release mainly because, hey, you can check out those graphic deaths now, but... We don't have to have the kids around. We still wanted those ticket sales, baby. So we have to put Megan out in PG-13. And I get that, but I always prefer the R-rated horror movies. I just feel like you have a lot more to work with. There's a lot more blood and gore. You know, you can actually show some nudity if you're into that. So it's really whatever you want when it comes to R-rated. Nothing's really off the table. But with PG-13, you got to float that line. So thank you very much, Mr. Powers. And our next question is from Lorenzo Harris, man of God. And he asks, what are your top five Christmas movies of all time? I love this question, Lorenzo. Thank you so much. Yes, we're getting into the holiday season. I'm a big Christmas movie fan. I already started this year because Scrooge came out on 4K Blu-ray. So usually I like to start the year every single year. We have a tradition in my house. We put the tree up on the Friday after Thanksgiving here in the United States. Uh, then we start the Christmas season off with one of the best Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And that's how we usually break into the Christmas season. But this year, Scrooge came out on 4K. Had to watch that a little bit earlier. So Scrooge broke the ice for us this year. And Scrooge would actually make my top five. So I'm going to go from the bottom to the top and give you guys my top five favorite Christmas films of all time. And then number five is actually going to be Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard is one of those special action movies that's usually ranked at the top of the best action films of all time. You get Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman in his first role steals the movie actually he really him and bruce willis are perfect as opposite ends of the spectrum but alan rickman for me this is his best performance i know people in my age grew up with harry potter but harry potter movies he's great in those but he'll always be hans gruber to me i remember i was sitting in a doctor's office the day he died everyone was talking about snape and i was just thinking man do people remember hans gruber he was the best he is probably one of the best villains in film ever mainly because you know everyone thinks he's a terrorist but he's really just a shitty robber that's all he's there for is the money i just i've always loved that twist in die hard and die hard i don't care what anyone says die hard is a christmas movie if you say it's not you're wrong how do you say that's not a christmas movie you tell me and then at number four this is really nostalgic but 1994 is the santa claus starring tim allen and this is really just because i was two years old in 1994 i remember being two or three years old when it came to vhs and my dad buying it and that's the image of santa claus when i think of santa claus i think of tim allen dressed up as santa claus i feel like that's what everybody has to live up to every mall santa every other santa and every single other film they have to look like tim allen in the santa claus mainly because I watched that movie about a thousand times when I'm a kid, and I still watch it every single year. Tim Allen was perfect, and at that time, in 94, he had the number one movie with The Santa Claus, he had the number one book with his autobiography, and he also had the number one TV show with Home Improvement, so don't let anyone sell Tim Allen short. He was a really big deal back in the 1990s, kind of a late bloomer in as far as his career goes, but... He had a huge 1990s, and 1994 was definitely the mountaintop of his career. And if you haven't seen The Santa Claus, it's an absolute classic. And then at number three, we have Scrooge that I just reviewed earlier this week on the channel. Scrooge is one of my favorite movies, probably, even, even if it wasn't a Christmas movie. I really just enjoy Scrooge. It's the top three, actually are movies that I could watch even not around the Christmas season. I just think they're just genuinely good films. And that starts with Richard Donner's Scrooge, starring Bill Murray. I mean, this is one of my favorite Bill Murray roles. He took four years off before he actually came back for this movie. After playing with ghosts in 1984's Ghostbusters, he's like, ah, 
I'll go do some ghost stuff with Richard Donner now. And like most Bill Murray stuff, you hear that he didn't really get along too well with the director. You know, Bill Murray's kind of a character himself. He's very much an egotistical maniac, but it does translate pretty well to film. And I can't say, like, separate the personal life from his regular, from the film. Bill Murray is still one of my favorite actors. I think he's hysterical. And he's perfect in this movie. But everybody does a great job in this movie. Whether it be Buster Poindexter as the ghost of Christmas past, I think he just, that's perfect casting. They got the casting right of the ghost. Just everybody is great. You even get Robert Mitchum from The Night of the Hunter in this movie just popping up. He's perfect in this movie as well so i really really think that scrooge is one of the best to ever do it and then at number two is christmas vacation yes christmas vacation this is a movie that me and my wife watch at least twice a season but we spend the rest of the year quoting it because this movie it's just, it, it's the best vacation movie. It's even better than the original vacation. Clark Griswold decides, hey, you know what? We're not going out this year. Let's bring the families in. Let's get them all in here. And of course, who shows up towards the, halfway through the movie, but Uncle Eddie, played by Randy Quaid. Eddie, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am now if I woke up with my face stapled to the carpet. I mean, there's just so many great lines in there. <laughs> I mean, when he's like, "I guys, I, I could have swore I saw Santa fly. I heard that Santa was flying over Chicago. And then Randy Quaid looks over. You serious, Clark? I mean, we quote that all the time here in my house. This movie is just fantastic. It's just never boring. It's one of the most enjoyable Christmas movies ever. It's just an enjoyable film, the best vacation movie, and probably Chevy Chase at the top of the mountain. It's either this or Fletch for me. And then at number one, it's it, It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart. I mean, this movie, it'll make me cry every single year. There's not too many movies that I watch every year that'll still pull that emotional string out of me, but at the end of the movie where he's like, to my brother... The richest man in town. But that, if that doesn't get your eyes going, nothing really will. You don't have a heart because it gets me every single year to see this man, James Stewart, who put his life on hold for everybody else to, to try and make sure everybody else lives the lives that they want to live at the expense of his own life. And at the end of it, he realizes that people actually do care about him. And that he isn't just alone in this world like he feels like. I mean, this movie is pretty damn dark. He tries to kill himself. <laughs> and for a 1940s film, that is very, very dark. But of course, it has a really happy ending. I mean, the whole movie doesn't really take place on Christmas Eve. It's really just a story about a man overcoming his the life that he didn't imagine he would have. We could all relate to that. We all have dreams when we're kids. And we think it's got to work out. But it never really does, at least for the most part. And it's about realizing that. It, life isn't that bad. You know, you got to appreciate the stuff around you. He's got a great wife, great kids. You know, his uncle's a drunk idiot, but well, that's fine. You know, he means well. He's just a drunk, he's just a drunk asshole. So everything isn't as bad as it seems. And he comes to the realization without that at the very end of this movie. And It's a Wonderful Life will always be number one for me. Great question, Lorenzo. And the next one is from Rogue1677. And he asked, what has to be one of the worst horror movies you've seen? And quit after how long you've watched it. Um, I've seen a lot of bad horror movies in my time. I've said it here on the channel, and I'll say it again. A Serbian film is the worst horror movie I've ever seen, just because it was so grotesque, disgusting, and it's something you should never, ever see. But there are a lot of, like, cheap horror movies, bad horror movies out there. Uh, there was a movie I watched last year. I'm not going to use the name, because it was definitely something that the horror pack kind of puts out, these very independent, low-budget horror movies. And this one just looked like it was shot on a VHS camera. The acting is atrocious. You know, it's really hard. Like, you can look at movies like Jack Frost and say that's a bad horror movie. But it's like, it's it's so bad that it's good. It's the same thing with Rubber. Like, that movie, it's about a killer tire, but it's just like, you went for it. Same thing with Tromeo and Juliet. A lot of the uh, movies that came out from Troma, they're just so bad, but they're just so good. I always feel like the worst thing that a horror movie can do is be boring. 
if you're a boring horror movie, like I'm gonna honestly say, like I really feel like the Nun and the Nun Two from Warner Brothers is some of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. You know, it doesn't. I don't give them a failing grade because there were effort put into them, but everything in the movies feel insignificant. They feel boring. They feel forced. It's horrible cinematography, horrible editing. You know, the sound design is pretty good in those movies, but. They feel like cheap cash grabs. And for me, those are the worst kind of horror movies. At least a low-budget horror movie, I can get past the fact that they were actually working within their budget. You know, there are some really bad Nightmare on Elm Street movies out there, too. Like, I really don't like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, except for the one scene, the time loop scene. That's a pretty bad one as well. There's some bad Friday the 13th movies, but again, they are just super enjoyable. Halloween 6 actually is an atrocious... Actually, no, I'm sorry. Halloween 5, The Curse of Michael Myers... That is a really bad, offensively bad movie. Also, Halloween Ends, you know, it's still a little raw for a lot of people, and I don't want to insult my buddy or the original Fuzz, because I know he likes that movie, but Halloween Ends is one of those movies I walked out of the theater, like, my jaw just hit the floor with disappointment. I couldn't believe how bad it was. Uh, it just didn't add up to what Halloween and Halloween Kills was. The story that they were setting up, they just dropped the ball hard with that one. I haven't seen The Exorcist Believer yet, mainly because of that same exact reason, same team that did Halloween Ends, and I heard how bad it was. I'll have to watch it before my you know best of the year list i don't think it'll make it but i have to at least see it <sighs> i'm dreading that one though i believe it was also final destination 4 is one of the worst in the final destination franchise and that's really why i haven't watched final destin final destination 5 in a really long time is because the first three final destination movies are really good i just remember four being atrocious that i have the five film collection but i never watch it after three just because three is great and i'm like oh, i remember four being horrible i can't rewatch that so i've had some movies where i'm just like uh i'll just never rewatch them again as far as the horror genre goes i think the second strangers film was one that also had a great scene in a bad movie which happens a lot as well Oh, oh, the remake of Psycho. That is offensively bad, because just because it's a shot-for-shot -shot remake of one of the most classic horror films of all time. So that one, avoid at all costs. Even though I like Gus Van Zandt, who directed that movie, I like Vince Vaughn, but you don't do a shot-for-shot -shot remake of an Alfred Hitchcock classic. Have you lost your mind? That was a mistake on everyone's part. But anyway, great question, Rogue One. I really do appreciate that. And our last question of the week is from... Planet Bazaar, and he asks, what are some of your favorite animated films? Well, if I pulled some off my shelf right over here, and I'll go down the line. For me, my favorite anime film, I'm not a big anime guy, because I've never watched, like, One Piece, or really any anime show. I guess the closest thing would be The Last Airbender, mainly because it was on Nickelodeon, and, you know, even into my teens and almost 18 years old i still was watching nickelodeon a little bit here and there and the last airbender was pretty big around that time when i was like 15 i want to say so i would still turn that on but you know dragon ball z pokemon i was never really somebody who was too big at anime but when it comes to anime film I, just like all films i want to at least watch the big ones that's why i've seen movies like perfect blue all the studio ghibli movies but my favorite uh, akira akira but my favorite of all time is absolutely still 1995's ghost in the shell which also has a pretty nice 4k not a big upgrade over the blu-ray but still i got this i think for like six dollars last year and i love it i love ghost in the shell it's the only anime movie i watch every single year you know it's not that long it has sequels and a sequel series but i still think the original is the best and even its live action film has its problems scarlett johansson stars in that I still think the original anime is the best, though. So this would be my favorite anime film. And then my favorite animated film of all time is 1994's The Lion King. This is a, during the Disney Renaissance. I'm a child in the 90s, so I saw them all. Starting with The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas. This actually was funny because... 
The A team over at Disney Animation were working on Pocahontas, and the B team were working on The Lion King, but people started to get wind that The Lion King was going to be something special. They had great voice actors like James Earl Jones, Matthew Broderick, Jonathan Taylor Thomas doing the young Simba. So they had great voice actors. You had Elton John doing the score, and everything was just coming together to create a magical moment. John Keefe in 1995 got the VHS from his father, and he fell in love with the movie. First movie to deal with death for me, by the way. Still to this day, heartbreaking. What a piece of shit. Obviously, it's a play on Hamlet, this movie, which is great as well. Introduction for kids like myself to William Shakespeare and all his work. And The Lion King is fantastic. What else can I say? And then another one that's really significant to me. I could have picked any from the Toy Story trilogy. Not Toy Story 4, but Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. But I grabbed the first one right here. I have them all on 4K Steelbook. And I have to still even know as much... As I think Toy Story 2 is the best of that trilogy, I still have to give the edge to the original Toy Story because that's the one that started all. Not just for the Toy Story franchise, but for Pixar. If that movie didn't work, we wouldn't have Pixar for what it is today. So this is just a culturally significant film. Toy Story, you know, it still holds up to this day. Every year I'll probably watch the Toy Story trilogy just because they do have like a Christmas feel to them, especially the first one, their opening presents at the very end. And it's sad because they get the puppy and then at the Toy Story, and then in Toy Story 3, the puppy's getting pretty damn old and it's just like... The the passing of time. I think I've said this here before, but Toy Story 3 came out the year I graduated high school in 2010. It came out in June of 2010. And to see Andy going away to college, so I was the same age as Andy. If you don't think that broke me in the theater, you were wrong. Because that actually, I was like, okay, my childhood is ending just like Andy's and it's time to move on in life. Yeah, that could be a little brutal. And then last but not least on this list is Coco. Coco was the movie that surprised the hell out of me because I never thought anything could top Pixar's trilogy of Toy Story movies. I didn't think I could allow anything to top Toy Story just because of the nostalgia feelings, the connection to my life. Just like I just said about Andy going to college the same year as me. You know, that stuff means something to me. That stuff is something that hits me to my core. So Coco came out. I went and saw it by myself in theaters, and I didn't really have too high hopes for it. Pixar wasn't really at the top of their game, but they also weren't, like, hitting the low like they kind of probably are right now, unfortunately. But I blame COVID and Disney for that. Not not anything that Pixar did wrong. You just didn't push their movies enough, and also they're kind of becoming too reliant on sequels. And that was kind of the thing with Coco. I think that came out around the time of The Incredibles 2. So Coco was an original film, and it just blew me away. You know, we're dealing with the Day of the Dead. Great story about a young kid, Miguel, who loves music, but his family hates music for whatever reason. And we have to uncover that reason as the film goes on. The music in this film is phenomenal. The animation, I think, is still Pixar's best. Maybe not, like, the cleanest. Obviously, now animation, I think every Pixar film gets better. But this stuff just popped off the screen. The Orange Bridge, the Orange Bridge especially seeing it on 4K Blu-ray. I mean, it blew my mind. I remember I'm in the theater by myself. It was a packed house. People were still going to the theaters to see movies like this. And you know, there was a bunch of kids around here. And I'm in the theater crying. And <laughs> I walk, I'm walking out. I remember specifically walking out. And I picked up the phone to call my wife, Faith. And I'm like, you have to see Coco. And we went back that weekend and we saw it again. So I saw Coco twice in theaters. And both times it got me. And I've seen it probably like four or five times since. And it's still my favorite Pixar film of all time. I just can't let it go past The Lion King. Because The Lion King is one of those films that is very important to me loving film so i can't let coco go above that but coco is my favorite pixar film and is one of my favorite animated films and there's also so many other great ones that didn't make my list like Coraline. that's a great like a studios animated film you know the nightmare before christmas it grows on me each and every time i watch that one that's another one that's great but these are probably my top four 
favorites. So thank you very much, Planet Bazaar, and thank you guys all so much for being here with me in another episode of Let's Talk Physical Media. Faith will be back next week. I hope you guys enjoyed the show, and if you did, don't forget to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. I want to thank my channel producers, John Dojuggalo, Frank Rodriguez, and Jason Martin, and I also want to thank my channel director, Kevin Kruger. If you guys want to join them or just become a friend of the channel member, which is only $2.99 in comparison to those other two tiers, if you guys want to join those ranks, hit that join button or click that link in the description below if you want to become a channel member, but it's no pressure at all. The best way to just keep helping us out is by watching this video liking this video, subscribing to the channel, then getting out in those streets and telling your friends about us. We will be seeing you around.